Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thank you for joining us as we begin our series on spiritual warfare. So today I'm going to kick it off and kind of give you some overview thoughts. Next week I want to dive in and I'm going to take Revelation 12:11, where we talk about uh, as believers we overcome the enemy through three things, right? Through the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and despising not even our own lives to the point of death. The week after that, it will apply to every person in here because either you individually have battled this or you've got family members or someone. I'm going to talk about overcoming chemical dependence. And we're going to build on this every week, okay? So I want you, uh, and I want you encouraged, I want you equipped, but I want you inviting your friends uh, and your family uh, to be a part of this. Let's pray it up and let's expect... Uh, the Lord really to bring about transformation in our life today. Father, thank you that you're good, you're God, you're holy, you're righteous. And Father, we bow before you as the creator, the establisher, the perfecter of all things. And I pray that each and every one of us, whether we be in this room right now or whether we are engaging online, I pray that our hearts would be open for truth I pray, Father, for freedom in this space today. I pray for victory in Jesus' name today. I pray that every person under my voice, Father, would really uh, heed and hear uh, the word of God. And, Father, that we would be doers of the word, that we would implement what you teach us today. And, uh, Lord, I, I just pray that you would settle in this space. Lord, would we eliminate any distraction now and, and really open our hearts to uh, commune with you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So here's a question I want to pose to you as we start. And I want you to think about this. What is your strategy for winning in life? What is your strategy? A strategy is basically a game plan to achieve or accomplish a meaningful and purposeful goal, if you will. What, what is your game plan? It's been said, failing to plan is planning to fail. So we really do believe, even as believers in Christ, that it is very important, essential, healthy to have a game plan, a strategy as we do life. Now, you know, based on the 10 plus years of me being here as pastor, you know I enjoy sports. And I really enjoy sports that feature strategy. And I'm really, really crazy about baseball. Go ahead and let the cat out of the bag, okay? So that, that is something I'm very uh, passionate about. Now, that being said, I love watching how managers and coaches formulate strategy. There's a lot of things that they do behind the scenes, whether it's in football, baseball, basketball, whatever the sport, there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes that you never see. Now, about five years ago, I was out in Kansas City, and it was right before the All-Star Game. Very interesting. Ned Yost and the Kansas City Royals had won the World Series in 2015, which meant Ned was going to be coaching the American League in the All-Star Game that following uh, week, 2016, that summer, there in Cincinnati. Now, I go into Ned's office. This is the Thursday. They still have a weekend series they're playing. Then they have Monday is kind of that break, and then Tuesday is the game. 
Ned had in his uh, office a huge kind of board. And on that board was all these magnets with players that were going to be on his team playing in the game. I'm sitting in Ned's office, and Ned had the starting lineup laid out. And Ned goes, now let me, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this guy and plug him in here. And I'm going to take this guy and plug him in here. And after we go through our starting pitcher, here's the guy I'm going to use. And here's the guy I'm using next. Ned had already played the game before the game was ever played. Now, as a viewer and a person that would have turned on that game, you're watching the game unfold. There, there's strategies. Terry Ponton, one of my good friends, TP told me, recently. He said, you know what's interesting is being in the game for all those years. He said, I played in St. Louis for a guy by the name of Whitey Herzog. And if you guys know baseball, Whitey is a huge name in baseball. He said, but Whitey Herzog somehow he was three or four innings ahead of the game. He said somehow Whitey kind of knew what was going to happen before it happened. He said a lot of other managers, they only just react and respond to what's happening. When you start to watch these strategies, I get engaged with it. Why they start a certain player against a certain pitcher, how they put on a hit and run, when they steal a base, how they bring in a relief pitcher, how they use a, uh, a pinch hitter in a certain situation. There's strategies. And the same thing applies in the spiritual. You got to have a strategy, you got to have a game plan. And if you look at your life right now, what is your plan for winning? What is your plan for really uh, overcoming? So here's what I would tell you from a spiritual standpoint. God is the initiator. God is the creator. God is the one who has an agenda, and God drives the game. God knows where the game is going. Satan, being created by God, can only counteract and react and respond to what God does. There's a lot of people that live in bondage, that live in fear, that live in defeat, that they think that Satan's calling the shots. He's not. God initiates the game. God is the one who drives agenda. God created the angels. Now, I'm not talking about the team that plays in California. I'm talking about Gabriel. Uh, I'm talking about Michael. I'm talking about Lucifer. He rebels. He takes a third with him. But God initiated and created. God then creates Adam and Eve. And when God creates Adam and Eve, uh, what Satan does is he comes and counters by trying to convince them God is withholding from you. There's a better life. Uh, here's what you need to do. They sin. What happened? They go out, grab fig leaves, they cover themselves. But God being the initiator, God kills the animal through the shed blood of an animal, takes the skin and covers Adam and Eve. Then God initiates the possibility for Adam and Eve to bear children. So Adam and Eve have two kids, Cain and Abel. But here comes Satan in, and what Satan does is he seduces Cain, you need to kill your brother. He only counteracts what God initiates and what God uh, establishes. God provides another offspring for Adam and Eve, if you will, and a son by the name of Seth. This is, this is where your name comes from, Seth. He, he provides another son in Seth because the, the bloodline must continue in a healthy way. What does Satan do? He comes and he counteracts because one of the descendants of Seth was a guy by the name of Nimrod. 
And Nimrod is always used in a negative uh, sense, but he convinces Nimrod that you can reach God, so Nimrod builds this tower, and then God complicates their language. Then God raises up a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham, you're a chosen nation. You're a royal priesthood. I'm going to use you. But yet here comes Satan, and he hardens the heart of Pharaoh and says, we're going to keep you in bondage. If you study the scripture, all of the Old Testament, God initiates good. Satan counters with evil. Satan comes to try to complicate anything and uh, destroy anything good that God is doing. Okay, now, here's what I want you to think through. Does this make sense to you so far? Everybody jiving with it, okay? Then what happens is God raises up a prophet by the name of Malachi. Malachi speaks. Then there's 400 years of silence. Back to my baseball analogy, it's the seventh inning stretch, okay? And they're not playing take me out to the ball game, but there's this 400 years of silence where God is not speaking. God is not raising up any prophets or anything. Then God changes the game. God is the initiator. God is the one that created life in the first place. God changes the game. God comes to earth. God puts on a human uniform. God in flesh is with us, and Jesus is born. Jesus walks this road for 30 years. Then all of a sudden, he's baptized in the Jordan by uh, the beloved John. The Spirit descends, and Jesus launches his public ministry. Then what does Satan do? Satan comes at Jesus. He attacks him. He tempts him. You look at Matthew chapter 4, the temptation experience of Jesus. And all of a sudden, after these three years of ministry, Satan is jacking the whole time. He thinks he kills God on that Good Friday. But God changes the game once and for all. And here's what we've got to be concluded of. uh, or Here's what we've got to conclude. When God chose to clothe himself, God knew what he was doing. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus was buried, God once and for all declares, I am victorious by raising Jesus from the dead. The resurrection is the statement that says, I win, I I am raising my son up. He is now seated at my right hand. He lives to make intercession. And if you are in Christ, you are victorious. Man, that is so freeing. Because Satan will still try to jack with you. He is the author of chaos and confusion. But once and for all, God says, I win. And Satan knows that he is defeated. Satan knows that ultimately he will be cast into the lake of fire. Satan knows that his time is limited to jack with people, try to spoil and ruin people's lives. But God has ultimately declared, I win, and if you are in me and Christ is in you and I've poured out my Holy Spirit, the ultimate winner has already been declared. But the reality, as I said, Uh, Satan's going to try to jack with you. And Satan will do everything he can to try to convince you that the winner of the game has not been established yet. The winner is established. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
We wrestle against powers and principalities in the heavenlies. So when we have conflict and we, when we have tension and when turmoil is taking place, I'm not wrestling against another human being. My, my wrestling is against the spiritual world and Satan is out to take each and every one of us down. God wins. And in Christ, we are declared victorious. So that's important to know. That's essential to know. Because if you walk around thinking that Satan is equal with God and that Satan has permission to do whatever he wants to do and you think he's equal, I can tell you right now, God is greater than whatever you face. And we've got to walk in that. All right, Jesus is risen. All right, so here's where I would shift this conversation with you. I want you to understand this. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to disrupt. He wants to uh, destroy anything that's good that God's placed here. And he's going to come at us, and he's going to come at this world in four basic ways. He's going to come at you as an individual. He's going to come at you in your own personal life, in your own personal space, your thoughts, etc. Satan wants to take you out as an individual. The second thing I will tell you is that Satan desires to annihilate the family. And the family unit is on trial today like never before. The family unit matters to God. God is the one that placed the family unit in place in the, from the creation of all time. So he's going to try to annihilate the family. The third thing Satan is going to do is he's going to do everything he can to raise as much hell and disruption and create chaos inside the church. There's church splits. There's people fighting. There's people bickering over things that are non-essentials. And the fourth thing he's going to do is he's going to try to wreck the society at large. And that's where we find ourselves living today. Now, I want to teach you up here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. This is a must-go-to passage, and I would encourage you to become very familiar with this text here. All right? 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be of sober spirit. Be of sober spirit. Make sure that you're tranquil in your thought process. Make sure that you're balanced and tamed uh, according to what God says is truth in your thought. Be, be sober. And then he says, be on the alert. Because your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Who's he seeking? Just someone. Anyone, you're not off his radar, okay? But he goes on to say, but resist him and be firm in your faith. Is it possible to resist the attacks of the enemy? I'm going to break it down. Is it possible to stand strong in your faith and to be firm in your faith in Jesus? Yes, he goes, know that the same experiences of suffering are happening to your brothers and your sisters throughout the world. Now, again, the established premise statement would be this. Satan wants to take you out. Satan wants to take you down. Satan wants you out of the game. He wants your life filled with hell. He wants you living a life of complete disruption and chaos. That's what he wants for every one of us. He wants to take you out. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your social, financial, etc. whatever the status might be, Satan is not a respecter of person, and he is coming at each and every one of us. God is greater. We must know our identity and know who we are in Christ. But Satan is going to come after you. For so many people, for so many people that claim that they're saved, 
that claim that they're born again, for so many people that God has already declared, you're an overcomer in Christ, you're more than a conqueror, they're living in defeat even today. They have allowed Satan to overwhelm them and overpower them, and they're living in defeat. So many of my brothers and sisters that claim to be followers of Christ, I can promise you this, they're living today as POWs in the enemy camp. They're prisoners of war. And so when you start to look at their life, and it's like, man, you have given Satan permission. You have given him power. You have given him a voice and authority in your life. You've allowed him to overtake you. And whether it's through drugs, whether it's through alcohol, whether it's through jacked up relationships, whether it's through sexual misconduct, whether it's through uh, financial ruins, whether it's you're still choosing to live a life of discouragement and bitterness and low self-esteem or whatever, Satan has got you in one of his camps right now. And God does not want you living as a POW. God wants you living as an overcomer, as victorious, as more than a conqueror. You're a champion in Jesus. And Satan will do anything he can to create deception, deceit, whatever. Be of sober spirit. Stand strong. Stand firm in your faith. Now, let me revisit a little bit of the uh, Ephesians 6 piece because we talked about the importance of putting on the armor of God every day. Okay? So when you go back and study the armor, he goes, you've got to put on the belt of truth. Take that breastplate of righteousness. Make sure you're putting peace on your feet when you go out into the world. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the shield of faith. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How do we stand firm? How do we stand strong? I would tell you this. You must know God's truth. You've got to know the rhema sayings of God. That was the word that we played on. Not graphe, just having a copy. Not logos, but the the rhema of God. I've got to know the declarations and the sayings and statements of God. Much like David, I've hidden it in my heart so that I will not sin, uh, sin against you. So if you're going to stand firm and stand strong, you've got to know truth. The second thing would be this. You've got to pray always. You've got to declare that your dependence and allegiance is to the king. When all hell is breaking loose in your life and the enemy's coming, I've got to stop and call on the Lord. And that's what the, the psalmist would say. I lift up my eyes to the hills. That's where my strength comes from. My strength comes from the Lord. And that's where we have to anchor. The third thing I would tell you is you, is you start to walk with the Lord. You've got to learn to submit to the Holy Spirit. Because when you're submitting to the Holy Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit will start to leak out of your life. And so I'm in the Word. I'm, buried, I'm burying myself in rhema statements. I'm praying. I'm seeking God. I'm sensitive and submitting to the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing, I've got to confess and deal with sin quickly. If I do open the door, if I do slip, I'm not going to tolerate, pacify any of this. I've got to thoroughly deal with it immediately. Because the pattern for so many people is to cover and to try to hide it. And, and they don't deal with it. And, and it's going to lead you to defeat. And the last thing is I walk with the Lord. As I'm in Ramah, as I'm praying, as I'm hanging with the king, I, I would tell you, just stay humble. Walk with humility. Because God opposes pride people. 
prideful people. He opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. So again, the established thought is this. God in you is greater than any opposition you'll ever face. God is, God's power is greater than anything that you're going to come up against. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because as I established, Satan, he's coming at us, and he wants to disrupt, discourage. He wants to destroy Okay, so there's four words I'm going to play on. And this is all coaching you up because I want to see you walking in the victory with Christ. Okay, so here, here, here are the four things that Satan's going to try to do. He's going to use desire. Then he's going to use deception. Then he's going to use disobedience. And it's going to lead to death. When he says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When he says he's looking for someone to take out. It starts with desire. That leads to, as I said, it's going to lead to deception that's going to lead to disobedience. So, Russell, you and I know based on our own story and based on our own track record, this is the way it goes down. So, desire, write these notes down. Satan will play on any legitimate God-given desire, and he will twist it and pervert it to make it an illegitimate desire. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take something that God has created that's legit, and he's going to spin it and pervert it to make it an illegitimate desire. Why? He counteracts, and he is the counterfeiter. Now think about this. Desire for food, that's good. Gluttony is sin. So even a good thing can become a harmful thing if it's not viewed in the right way. Desire for sex, if you're married, that's a good thing. But he will twist it into adultery, immorality, fornication, and he will try to pervert what God has created. Desire for rest and sleep, that's a good thing. But he will twist it into laziness where you become slothful and do nothing. I want you to think about this. God creates inside of us desire. But Satan, being the counteractor that he is, the counterfeiter that he is, he will twist any legitimate thing that God has placed inside of us and take us down, try to take us off course. If you go back and even ponder the Genesis 3, uh, right before sin enters in, into the equation, all right? Verse 5, Satan said, here, here, here's Eve. Satan said, God knows in the day that you eat from the tree, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like God. She was already like God. She was made in the image of God. She was not missing anything, but he twists. God knows that in the day that you eat from this tree, you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. When the woman saw, that's where we usually open the door for illegitimate desires. Once we see something, if we do not take that captive immediately. Hold, hold, hold on. What did I just see? What did I just observe? What did I just notice? You've got to take it captive immediately. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, listen to the word the New American Standard uses here, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was desirable to make one wise. She's already started to buy the lie. She's entertaining the thought. 
this desire is about to get all sideways and jack up humanity forever. She took, she ate, and the silence of Adam, she gave it to him. This was not an isolated, independent move. Homeboy Adam should have stepped up and said, no, God has spoke. God told us to stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We can have anything else in the garden. No, but he's chilling and he partakes. So here, here's the thing. Desire is a God-created thing. We, we get, we've got to know that. But Satan will twist and pervert anything that God has created for good, and he will turn it into something evil. I would highly encourage you, memorize Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Memorize this. Delight in the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your identity in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because the desires of my heart become what God desires. I'm delighting in him. I'm starting to see life through his eyes. So desire is so, I'm telling you, this is where it usually goes south in a hurry. We, we start to desire what is forbidden. The excitement for the forbidden arouses something inside of us, and we start to entertain it. Then it leads to deception. Deception has the appearance of being legit, but it's corrupt. And that's the whole thing that Satan knows he can play on. Oh, this looks legit. Well, it's not. It's, it's corrupt. A perverted, twisted, illegitimate desire will open you up to being deceived like never before. You're trying to get your needs met apart from God. You're trying to use something that even God created, and you start to worship the created more than you do the creator, and you're starting to use the created to, to get, get you identity and worth and value. It's living a life of deception. Once you open the door to desire and you start to live with deception, it will rob you in every area of your life. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. Why does he say that? Because becoming deceived or entering into deception is a possibility. He's writing to believers in Galatia. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, meaning the word of God, the will of God, the ways of God cannot go contradicted. If you're honoring and following the word, the will, the ways of God, then you're not is apt to be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not marked. His standard is there. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And the problem for so many people that even enter into church, they'll run up for prayer, whatever. Why? Because I was deceived. I marked what God said not to do. I'm starting to reap what I sow, but now I'm starting to pray for crop failure. God, stop it. God has already set in motion that whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Let me say it again. Capture the thought. Test it against the spirit of God. Test it against truth. And then decide that I'm going to obey Jesus. It's like a fishing lure, right? I mean, Alan, you like to fish. Kenny, some of our, our guys in here. It appears to be the real thing. It's fake. Don't bite it. Don't go for that. I mean, don't you wish that 
you occasionally saw some fish with discernment swimming around going, it's fake, don't do it. Your butt's going to be in the boat in five seconds, don't. Bubba, man, you did it. But I think that's where we live. The enemy throws stuff, and we would benefit from having godly people around us saying, stop, that's a that's bait, that's, that's an enemy lure, don't, don't go for it, it's not of God. Here's what I'll tell you. Living a life of deception, here's what people do. They're going to hide, they're going to pose, they're going to pretend. Come on, Butch. They're going to cover, they're going to stay in the dark, and when you get there, you will absolutely destroy your life, and you will bring utter destruction upon your family and those close to you. Living in deception, I'm covering, I'm hiding, I'm not being honest. Now, follow this. I'm giving you some word here today. This is good. Desire plus deception will lead to disobedience. It's going to lead to disobedience. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, let no one say that he's being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Each one of us is tempted when we're carried away and enticed by our own lust, by our own desires, by our own perverted, illegitimate desires. Everyone, everyone is carried away when they're enticed by their own lust. Then when lust, which this illegitimate desire is set in, when it has conceived, it will give birth to sin. Write these principles down. All right. So the word tempt means to be enticed to evil. The word tempt means to be lured away from God. When you're being tempted, it's not of God. When you're being tempted, the enemy is trying to entice you and lure you away from God. It's crucial. Here's some principles. God never tempts anyone. God has never tempted anyone. God will not tempt you to sin. God will not tempt you to do evil. God will never put bait out in front of you to take you away from him. That's not not the Lord. God is the source of every good gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So I have to stop and ask myself the question. Do I willfully submit to God's goodness and God's righteousness? God is the author and perfecter of every good gift. God's not going to lead me astray. Here would be the third thing. We know that temptations are used to deceive you and take you down, period. When you're being deceived or when you're being tempted to do something that you know is not of God, I can promise you that temptation is there to take you down, to get you out of the game, to cause you to be ineffective. Here's, here's something we've got to own. Oh, we've got to own this one right here. Tem- temptations take you off course because it's your own desires. You can blame every person on the planet. You can blame your family tree. You can blame your friends, whatever. But when you jack it up, you've jacked it up because inside your heart was a desire to dishonor God and not do what's right. 
I mean, we can look at all this genealogy stuff and go, well, look at that bloodline. Can I tell you something? The blood of Jesus brings about transformation, and there is a transfusion at the cross of Jesus Christ that I do not have to walk in those sin patterns of my forefathers because I am under the blood. I'm clean. I'm redeemed. I'm new. Come on. Somebody jump on this. Five, temptation, one major goal. You're a ruin and you're destruction. Now, here's a verse I memorized early. I'm talking about way early in my faith journey. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14. I memorized this one early. Check out what it says. It says, uh, starting in verse uh, 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Hey, hey, any person who thinks that he's strong in his own strength, that his own power is enough to get him through, that he can trust in his human uh, resources, take heed, you're not that good. Then he says, but no temptation has taken you, but such is common to other men and other women. No temptation has taken you. No temptation has come against you, but that which is common to others. God is faithful. And God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But with every temptation, God will make a way of escape so that you can endure it. He then says, therefore, since God is good and God is strong and God is faithful, flee idolatry, which means flee. Run from putting your trust in anything else. Somebody needs to memorize this. Somebody needs to hide this rhema right inside their heart. This needs to be your go-to this week. Now, here's the truth. Again, every person, we are all, we're all capable of shipwrecking. We're all capable of royally jacking it up. I don't care how many PhDs, I don't care how many seminary degrees, I don't care. We are all fragile. And if we are not staying strong in the Lord and our security and identity is not in the Lord, it is so easy for any of us to become vulnerable and open the door for the enemy to attack us. The ship that God couldn't sink, April 14, 1912, even when Captain Edward Smith received these Uh, warnings his wireless operators did. Hey, icebergs ahead. The wireless operators said, oh, we're the ship that God can't sink. We're the great Titanic. They never even told the captain, hey, we're getting all these warnings. They ignored them because we're big and we're strong and we're powerful. Nothing can take us down. No, you went down. And so many people lost their lives because They refuse to heed the warning signs of imminent danger. And there's so much destruction in family and people's lives. And God's going to give us warning signs. So we're all, 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 all capable of shipwrecking. I can promise you this. Every person on this planet that has a pulse will be tempted. Just because you're being tempted doesn't mean it's sin. Temptation comes at all of us. And a lot of people think, man, well, the temptation was there. Well, I thought it. I might as well do it. No, 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 no. Don't give the enemy that lie. 
Don't, don't let him convince you of that. I've had people tell me that. Well, I, I was tempted and I thought it. Well, thinking it's just like doing it. Are you nuts? I can think about jumping off this building. But if I jump off, it is a way different narrative. It's, it's not the same. And people think that just because they were lured. No. Here's, here's, here's the truth. God is faithful. God will never leave you. If you're a child of the king and Christ resides, he will never leave you. And I can walk through any situation, any circumstance, any day, and I'm like, God, you are with me. You are in me. You are for me. You will never leave me and abandon me. Ah, that's, that's comforting. God will always provide an escape route for you. There will always be an exit if you're walking in the spirit and you find yourself somewhere. God goes, hey, I got an escape over here for you. Yes, I need escapes at times. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's going to provide an escape route for me. That's good to know, right? Tornado or hurricanes are coming. Evacuation route. Jesus always provides an evacuation route. Here's another thing. Uh, God is sovereign. And, and God wants you to know that he is greater than the temptation you face. So again, as we've established, people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will always allow you to experience more than you can handle. But God will never allow you ever to face anything that he can't handle. That's where we have to land. I can't handle it on my own. God is sovereign. God is bigger. God is stronger. God will give me a way out. God will protect me. Let me say it again. I don't know if I've said this three or four times or seven or eight times, but uh, Satan wants you ineffective and out of the game. God is greater. God is stronger. We've got to lean in. We've got to press in every day. Victory in spiritual warfare involves complete identity and identification with Jesus. That's the only place I can land. Where's your identity? It's in Christ. What do you identify with as being who you are and why you're on the planet? It's, it's totally, I'm in Christ alone. I, I can't do anything without my master. People apart from Christ are going to continue to open the door to illegitimate desires and Karen, Karen is sad sometimes, and we see the, the destruction, and I, I, I just it's so painful to watch people's lives unfold. But God says, I'm with you. But your identity and identification with me is crucial. I will tell you this, knowing and doing God's will is your safeguard. When you align your will with his will, he will always give you his power to deal with whatever you're facing. It is a will issue at times. Where is my will? Am I willing to align and submit my will to his? That is the, that is the big key right there on whether I'm going to live in victory or whether I'm going to live in defeat. Who am I submitting to? I will tell you this. If I'm going to align my will to God's will, it will always require faith, trust, and belief that God really does know what God is talking about. It's going to require faith. One of the things I wrote down is the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disobedience. And a lot of people think, man, the opposite of faith is having doubt. No, the opposite of faith, the opposite of, of not walking in what God has called me to walk in is going to be 
disobedience. What will it lead to? When desire takes root, coupled with deception and disobedience, is going to lead to death. James 1.15 says, when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Lust will lead to sin, which will lead to death. But it starts with taking every thought captive. Now, please listen to me on this as I start to drive toward a close. I like what Tony Evans said, and I'm reading his book right now on spiritual warfare. But Tony Evans said, any voice that hell has in your life right now is because you have given hell permission to mess with you. Any voice that hell has in your life right now is because you've given hell permission to mess with you. The only power Satan and his demons will have is the power that you give them. If you go back again to our forefathers, Adam and Eve, the enemy was given permission to have a voice in their life. They entertained him. They could have rebuked him. They could have stood firm on, no, this is what God said, but they opened the door. They opened the door to entertain hell's voice. Evans goes on to say, if all hell is breaking loose in your life right now, it is because hell has been given permission. Hell was told either through sin or through circumstances that you were willing to yield. Hell was told something like this. It's okay for you to rule my mind. It's okay for you to rule my emotions. And it's okay for you to rule my body. Hell was given permission. Hell, I give you permission to tell me that I'm not really a man, even though I was born a male. And I give you permission to tell me I'm not really a woman, even though I was born a female. Hell has been given permission. Hell, I give you permission to tell me that I want drugs, I need drugs, and I can't stop using drugs. Hell, I give you permission. Hell, I give you permission to tell me that I need a drink, I can't sleep uh, without a drink, and I can't even live and function without a drink. I, I give you permission. Hell, I give you permission to tell me that I should wake up depressed, stay depressed, and go to bed depressed. Hell, I give you permission. I give you permission to tell you... Uh, I give you permission to tell me that I can't control my anger, I can't control my spending, my desires, that I am not loved, and that I will never amount to anything. I'm reading through this, and I'm like, Tony Evans is so right on. Because in order for hell to have the superior voice, I willfully give hell that voice. And I would tell you, do not give hell a voice in your life. Do not give hell a voice. Satan and his demons have been defeated. A couple of weeks ago, I was with my buddy Mike Powell. They were playing over with this drive-in tour thing, and Zach Williams was kind of the headliner on this thing. Zach Williams is kind of like the prophet of deliverance. His lyrics are so, so powerful. I mean, he kind of got on the map with Chain Breaker. His rescue song right now is powerful. But one of my favorite songs from Zach is titled Fear is a Liar. And, and listen to these lyrics. When he told you you're not good enough, and when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, when he told you you're not worthy, and when he told you you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough, fear 
is a liar. He will take your breath. He will stop you in your steps. He will rob you of your rest. He will steal your happiness. Fear is a liar. When he told you you were troubled, you'll forever be alone. When he told you you should run away, you'll never find a home. When he told you you were dirty and you should be ashamed. When he told you you were the one that grace could never change. Fear is a liar. He will take your breath. He will stop you in your steps. He will rob you of rest and he will steal your happiness. Fear is a liar. We do not have to entertain the lies of the enemy. The voice of truth, as Casting Crowns would say, tells us a different story. And the voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, no, this is for my glory. And he goes on to say, out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. And I would encourage you to step into God's truth, allow the rhema sayings and the statements of God to drive your thinking, your thought process. As we get into warfare, again, we have to understand that we have to take responsibility. If we've given hell a voice, we need to rebuke him in Jesus' name. I would encourage you today as we move into a time of prayer, Press into the truth. God is for you. God is with you. God desires to see you walk as an overcomer in everything you do in life. And one of the great things that you can do today is we move into this time of prayer. If you're a child of God, we have communion set up. But as you take that cup, you can open it up and go, the blood of Jesus cleanses me. The body of Christ has carried my sin debt. Satan, you're a liar. The sufficiency of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is where I find my identity and completeness. Man, I, I want you to walk into that. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to break those chains where you've empowered the lies from hell. It changes us when we start to walk in the goodness of God. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, hear testimonies from people. We pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.